Good morning, everyone. And welcome to anybody who's new with us this morning. I frequently emphasize the importance of reading the Bible. But in addition to the importance of reading the Bible, it's also very important to look at the nuances and the details in the text that we're reading. Every Sunday, we have two texts, one from either the letter of St. Paul or the Acts of the Apostles, and the other from one of the four Gospels. And very often, these texts are placed next to each other because there's either some overarching theme or a point that is reinforced in either the first or the second reading. In addition to looking at the nuances and the details, it's quite okay to ask questions, to ask as many questions as you want, questions that you may have, especially questions that relate to something that you may find strange, odd, or a little inconsistent with the way that we as 21st century people see a text. And then from there, it's always important to try to summarize some themes of the readings that were uh, that we have before us, and to pull out from it a purpose. Why did St. Paul or the evangelist spend their time writing what they, what they wrote? And related to that, why are we reading it 2,000 years from now? So that is a lot to unpack, but that shows us, first of all, the importance of reading the Bible on a regular basis, but then also reading the Bible slowly, and looking at all these nuances and details, and then pulling out from them some points and purposes. Myself, when reading this epistle of letter, the letter of St. Paul to the Romans and the Gospel of Matthew, I found four themes that were repeated in several ways. One is that Jesus engages all our senses and our emotions. And second... Jesus invites us to assist each other, to be there for each other. And third is that we all, as a community, have what we can call codependent gifts. In other words, you might have a gift that your husband or wife or children don't have, and in other members of the community, somebody might have a gift that he's, he or she is very strong at that you may not have. You can be a great singer, Somebody else might not be a good singer, but might uh, spend more time in prayer. They might be a good reader. Somebody might like hospitality. Somebody might like to teach. When we pull out these different talents in a community, that's how we have a healthy, strong family and a healthy, strong church and a healthy and strong community and country. Therefore, we have codependent gifts. And fourth, we use these gifts when we discover them, and when we develop them to assist others. And, related to our faith, in so doing, when we serve each other with the gifts that God has given us, that is a method of prayer. That is how we glorify God. We glorify God in our life, in our actions, in our works. That's a brief summary. If I had just stopped there and let that go, it would have been good enough. But let me unpack these beautiful readings today and how I got to those four points. And in particular, I want to start with the fact that 
There is a lot happening specifically in this gospel. And to notice some of the oddities that lead us to this po the first point that Jesus wants us to engage our senses. The first verse is from 27, Matthew 9, verse 27. The Matthew tells us, as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. This phrase should um, evoke a few questions in our mind. How did two blind men follow Jesus? They didn't see him. How could they have followed him? There are actually three very important nuances here. First, they must have heard of others being healed by Jesus before that particular encounter. In other words, they must have heard of the importance of Jesus and have been convinced in their heart that we wish we were able to meet this man, Jesus, in order to be healed by him. They had an opportunity to really be convinced from what others in the community had been speaking about Jesus. And second, they must have really wanted, they first must have, uh, have heard of Jesus from others. Second, they must have wanted to eventually meet him. And third, they were convinced that he would help them. They couldn't see, and this is another important nuance of the story, there was something they did not have. They didn't have, they weren't gifted with the gift of sight. But the Gospel of Matthew tells us they still had sense. The fact they had, they didn't have something didn't mean they had nothing. They still had the sense to be attentive to their surroundings. And that is why that although they didn't hear Jesus, because he wasn't speaking. Jesus was walking. Another very important nuance in this text. How do we know that Jesus wasn't speaking among the crowd? Because every time in the Gospels that Jesus speaks or teaches, he either sits down or he tells everyone else to sit down. Therefore, in this case, all they heard was the crowd. They heard the noise of the crowd moving around them, and they also heard the crowd being excited that Jesus was with them. Therefore, even though the gospel tells us two, bl two blind men followed him, but in fact, they must have been following the crowd who were excited to have been following Jesus. A very important nuance. They followed the crowd who was following Jesus. And a final nuance that we need each other is that there wasn't just one, there were two. Two blind men, two blind people helping each other navigate this crowd to eventually get to Jesus. And they do. That's the good news. And one verse after. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Let's focus on two initial points. One is that they were so persistent that they entered the same house that Jesus entered into, not the entire crowd. It was impossible for an entire crowd to enter the house. So not only did they first follow Jesus through the crowd and with the crowd, they actually even moved the crowd aside to be sitting right at Jesus' side. 
And second, this point of the house. Who enters your house? Someone who is a family member, someone who is a friend, and someone whom you want to talk to on a personal and intimate basis. They came to him and entered the house. And still at this phase of the gospel, they still didn't see Jesus. But now, from hearing the crowds, they begin to hear Jesus himself as he says to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? First, Jesus did not see them, and they did not see him. But now they still don't see Jesus, but they hear Jesus, and they hear Jesus' words. They heard the followers, and now they hear Jesus himself. Now they see that Jesus wants to have an intimate conversation with them, that he sees them not like Jesus saw the others, as simply the crowd, and they profess and they reply to Jesus' words, yes, Lord, that we do believe that you are able to do this. And then what does Jesus do? He moves on to engage other parts of their senses. They had not seen, but they heard, but now they feel. And that's why the gospel tells us he touched their eyes. He touched their eyes and they kept hearing him. So their sense of feeling and their ears, their sense of hearing was being engaged in this communication, in this interaction with Jesus. Jesus touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were open. And it's only now, after hearing, after feeling, after confessing, that they are actually able to see Jesus. Therefore, this in very few verses, less than five, we move from them hearing of Jesus to hearing the crowd following Jesus to actually hearing Jesus personally and then to confessing Jesus and then to feeling the hand of Jesus touching them and then to seeing Jesus and then finally seeing the crowds that saw and believed in Jesus. This is why it's so important to look at the nuances of these texts and to be able to see what the evangelists are telling us and why these Bible passages have endured for so long. Even that is great and wonderful, but there is more. As they were going away, behold, a mute demoniac was brought to him. So now we have another passage attached to this. So uh, an individual who couldn't speak. So he, unlike the two blind men who could see and hear, he could see, he could see and hear, but he could not express um, his feelings and his, um, his faith in Jesus. And what happens in verse 32? The mute demoniac was brought to him, once again emphasizing the need for community life. He was not able to, be, he was not able to come to Jesus on his own. He needed others. He needed the community to assist him in what he wanted to do. And when Jesus healed him, the crowd marveled. 
saying, never has anything like this been seen. Therefore, a man here could see but couldn't talk. He was assisted by others. He could see and hear but couldn't speak. And then the crowds saw because of what happened. They saw, they spoke, and they believed. All our senses and the senses of the crowds are completely engaged in this very short passage. And finally, and very importantly related to this gospel, we have two uh, very short verses, 34 and 35, that say, the Pharisee says he casts out demons by the prince of demons. And 35 goes on to say, Jesus went about all the cities and villages. Why are these two verses important? Because there is something, that, in a sense, that happens in between. That Jesus, although he was working publicly, was healing, was teaching, was giving a good message of what it meant to be a follower of, 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 of God, he was, he was criticized as well. So what does Jesus do? Does he sit there and start an argument with people? The Gospel of Matthew simply says he ignored them and he went out and he went out all the cities focusing on his teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and infirmity. Jesus did not try to prove that he was doing the right thing. He did the right thing and he allowed the crowds themselves to acknowledge what he was doing. How does that apply to us? We sometimes need to ignore the noise that is around us. The critics who sit around telling us what we should or shouldn't do, but yet sit around doing absolutely nothing. Jesus did, and he invites us to continue the work of God and to let our actions be our judge, not whether we are able to enter into an eloquent conversation with others. And through this, Jesus continued to bring people closer to God. This theme is also very important and rooted in the, in the letter of St. Paul to the Romans, where he says, he starts off, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So in this section, St. Paul reminds us, as I mentioned before, that we have strengths and weaknesses and that others also have strengths and weaknesses but that Christ, as our role model of humility and service, reminds us that those strengths are for others and whatever weakness we have, in community, in communion, and in humility, others fill in the weaknesses that we have. Once again, I encourage all of you to read at least a chapter of the Bible every day. And not just read it with a radio in the background or a tea or or the TV on, or some noise, but read it quietly, read it reflectively, look at the nuances in the text, and look at some question that you may have that the text itself may answer. And then from there, focus on some main points that you learn in the text, and focus on some main points that you learn and want to apply in your life. Jesus today engages all our senses. He gauges all our senses to remind us to assist each other. He reminds us that we have codependent gifts, and he reminds us to always use these gifts to assist others as he did 
in his entire life.